Well, I wonder how many of you have lived your life with some regrets. Have you ever done that? Have you ever kind of reflected on your life, maybe even in these moments as I ask you to reflect on your life, and you might think, okay, yeah, there are some things that I would like to do over. I know that would be true for me. I think that's true for many of us, where we reflect on things and we go, okay, could have done that different, should have done that different, wish I would have made that choice, I wish I would have responded differently, whatever the question or situation might be. I know for some people I've heard them say that it would be really nice if we could live life twice. If you could sort of do a dry run and make your mistakes and kind of do your things that you mess up and figure out a better way and then kind of go back and then now do the real thing. But life doesn't get a dress rehearsal, does it? We're just kind of thrown into things in many ways and we are called to walk uh, through the things that we go through and respond the way that we respond and, and sometimes we're not so keen on how we actually did or what came out of that. The question this week that we're looking at is, how can I make the most of the rest of my life? And even as I've been sharing that, as people have been asking, what are we talking about today? And I say that, I go, wow, like it just hits me again. That's a, that's a really big question. That that would be a good name for the series. Um, you can laugh at that. That actually wasn't that funny. But it's true, every time I come to these questions that we are addressing week to week, I realize, okay, that is a really big question. And so today is no different in that regard. It's also a very big question that is challenging definitely to answer in any way that would relate to all of the different demographics that would even be here in this room. Think of all the different ages that are here, all the different backgrounds and stages of life that are here, all the different experiences that you've come through and the challenge is, is to kind of address some, this in a way that actually would connect with each one. Only through the power of the Holy Spirit can that happen, and that's my prayer. Speaking of the Holy Spirit, last Sunday and last weekend for people who've been involved in the Alpha uh, experience throughout this fall, it was the focus on the Holy Spirit. The person, the power, the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives to guide us, to encourage us, to equip us, to empower us. Uh, last Sunday, I had the opportunity to be at our, the Broadway congregation again. It was, it was Brian and Amy's commissioning and heard Brian speak on the Holy Spirit. And because of being able to listen online, listen to what Harry shared here last Sunday about the power of the Holy Spirit and the experience of the Holy Spirit in his life. Two great sermons that that talked about this reality of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives and the difference that it makes for us. But how can the Holy Spirit of God empower us to break from our past, to change things in the present, and also to create a new, more significant future? How can this Holy Spirit that God has given us as this gift, as this presence, as this power, this person of the Holy Spirit, actually empower us and guide us to to make the most of the rest of our lives. So today I want to encourage you to turn to Romans chapter 12. That's going to be our primary text today. And we're going to walk through this text as a guide for us to try to answer this question of how do we make the most of the rest of, the li- of our lives? How does the Spirit of God work within us in such a way that, that God can use our lives for something significant? But before we kind of walk through Romans 12, I want to give you a one-phrase answer to this question, this very big question, 
this one phrase answer that in my mind is probably the best answer I could come up with of how do we make the most of the rest of our lives. You shouldn't need to write it down. But here's what it is. It's to be a disciple of Jesus and to be somebody who disciples others. I think there is no greater way that we can make the most of the rest of our lives than if we understand more of who the Creator is, more of who it is that has created us, and understand more of the purpose that He has created us for. By being a disciple of Jesus Christ and being intentional to disciple others. I can't think of anything more significant or meaningful or directive for us in terms of making the most of our lives. Because if we were created by God, which I believe we have been by the one who put the universe in place and all the things that we see around us, who knows us intimately, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and if we understand more and more of his purpose for our lives, our lives will always be significant. So it's to be a disciple. Now when I say that, I don't just mean believe in God, because even the demons do that, is what James said. It's not just even show up to church and actually just you know, come on a Sunday morning and, and do that pattern for year after year or even decade after decade. It's, it's much more than that. It's not even just you know, sort of show up and participate in a few things. Maybe you even give money from time to time or you serve from time to time. Maybe even you're really busy in the activities of the church in some way or another. I think it's deeper than that. It's more than that. It's what does it mean to truly be a transformed disciple of Jesus Christ? To be transformed by the power of his spirit where you've actually come to that place of repented of your sins, given your life to Jesus, and turned your life in a whole new direction. And then are not only filled with the Holy Spirit, but are being filled with the Holy Spirit day after day after day as the spirit guides you. That daily transformation that is happening in your own life individually, but is also intentional in engaging in the lives of others, to model it to them, to encourage them in theirs, and to just be involved in this commission that Jesus has given us of discipleship. Over the last year, year and a half, as a church, in all of our settings, we've been trying to bring forward and to teach on these four discipleship steps that we kind of wrestled through as a staff and have walked through and have try to implement in every area of our ministry because of the helpful guide that they can be in terms of what it means to be a disciple. They come right out of our our mission statement as a church, which means that our desire is to be a covenant community that loves God, disciples one another, and reaches out from the river to the ends of the earth. But then we ask that question, so how do we make that tangible? How do we give some real practical handles for people? And these four things, they're not perfect, they don't capture everything, but they help us to understand how it is to make the most of our lives, and to be a disciple and disciple others. And so to create community, to be people who actually realize that we don't do the Christian faith alone, but that we create community, and we we need to be intentional about doing that in all different settings. That we would be people who not only model the love of Jesus, but first of all have experienced the love of Jesus in a way that it transforms us and changes us. Because if we don't have that experience of Jesus and the Spirit of God changing our lives... We have very little to offer others. But if we are intentional about saying, okay, God, we want you to change our life today. Not 20 years ago, not five years ago, not 
yesterday even, but today continue to transform me to experience the love of Christ and to model that for others. And then thirdly, that we would be a people who would train one another in obedience, that one another thing, that we would encourage one another, share with one another, use our gifts with one another, and that we would be all about the obedience of Jesus Christ. You cannot talk about discipleship without seeing in Scripture this call to obedience to the Word of God and to the person of Jesus and to walk in his footsteps. And then lastly, this dual thing again, these things that are held in tension intentionally, and we often make this false dichotomy of them. It's not just about serving others, and it's not just about proclaiming the gospel, but it's about doing those two together hand in hand, that we are people who serve others and proclaim the gospel. And that if we could be those kinds of intentional people, that our lives would be so significant on a day-to-day basis. So let's go now to Romans chapter 12 and walk through this text and where I think that we will see these discipleship steps that I just articulated coming through again and again and again. And in many ways, this is what Paul is saying as he's speaking to the Roman church. What Paul is saying, here's what it means to live a life of significance in light of the gospel. Because Romans chapter 1 through to Romans 11, those first 11 chapters of Romans are this incredible text of theology of understanding who God is and understanding what God has done. And now in Romans 12, Paul makes a shift, and he starts to now talk about, now, how do we live in response to all of that? So if you want to get a context for what we're going to look at in Romans 12, read all of Romans chapter 1 to 11. And then he makes this shift, and he says, okay, now how do we live in response to that? How do we make the most of our lives, given what Jesus has done for us? How do we actually live now in a way that is significant and to the glory of God? And that impacts the world around us. Romans 12. A great text on discipleship. First of all, Romans 12 verses 1 to 2. One that would be very familiar with many of you if you've grown up in the church in any way. And it says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. The kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. And then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So Paul, he starts off by just saying, you need to live as a transformed person with a transformed mind and a transformed body. In other words, if this gospel that I've been talking about for 11 chapters has any significance in your life, it will change the way you think and it will change the way that you live. And you will live as a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice every day. Because God has given us this ability to choose and we can choose as a living sacrifice every day to crawl off the altar. Or we can choose to stay on the altar and to stay as this living sacrifice before God and to live our lives that way. Presenting our bodies, our priorities, our ambitions, our lifestyles, all of who we are is a sacrifice to God. Because with sacrifice, it implies that there is a cost. There's a cost involved of time, of money, of hands, of heart, of all of these things that are part of our lives. He also talks here about breaking from the past and, and not being conformed any longer to the ways of the world and the pressures of the world and the things that sort of crowd us in and try to conform us into the ways of the world. Some of them are good things, some of them are bad things, but, but just how the world conforms us more and more into its image. And he says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you. Live as this living sacrifice. 
And as I, as I was reading that again, it immediately brought to mind uh, Paul's own personal story. And if you flip over to Philippians chapter 3, we don't have time to go through it in detail, but it's his own personal story in Philippians 3 of, of what it means to live as a living sacrifice. So in Philippians 3, Paul gives his, his own story in that way, and I'll start in just reading verse 12 to 14, and then I'll back up for a minute. Philippians 3.12, he says, Paul says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved all these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. You know, Paul is choosing not to live with regret in his life. But he's also choosing to acknowledge that there are parts of his life that are part of the landscape, they're part of his background, they're the reality of who he is. And if you back up and you read some things, he's talking about his human effort and this worldly tendency to put a whole lot of value in human effort and status. And he says uh, earlier on in verse 3, he says, we put no confidence in human effort though. But if you want to go there, let me go there for just a minute. And he starts to articulate all the things that in the human world, in the worldly way, that, that actually make him a person of pretty high status. And he talks about those things. He talks about being a pure-blooded citizen of Israel, a men, member of the tribe of Benjamin. He says, you want to talk about being Jewish? I am Jewish to the core. Circumcised on the eighth day, I had all of these things that were part of my background. I was a member of the Pharisees of one of those who is the most learned and teach it of, of the law of Moses. And so I did that over and over again, and, and I taught that. I, I had lived with the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I persecuted those who did not do that. And then he says, I, I once considered these things so valuable. But now, it's not like I live with regret, but I, I just consider them rubbish. Like they just don't matter anymore. Because I've encountered Jesus. I've encountered all of those things that Romans chapter 1 to 11 talk about, about what the gospel is all about. And then he says, because of this, it's changed me. And I forget what is behind, and I strain towards what is ahead in Christ Jesus, and I don't live with regret. And it's because of the grace of God that we can do that. And so for Paul's things, he's, he's saying that, you know what? Your past is part of you. Your past is is part of what is in the landscape. You have to realize that it's there and it's who you are. Some of those things are decisions you've made. Some of those things that have happened to you. But it's, it's not about having that define you. Even the good things, as Paul articulates some good things, at least in society's eyes. But this truth that God always calls us forward. So a question for us is, what is it about the world that is trying to conform us? Is it guilt and shame for what you've done? Is it pride and self-sufficiency for what you've done? It's interesting, the enemy doesn't really care, could use either one of these things to hold you back from making the most of the rest of your life. So maybe it's the shame that you feel and the guilt that you feel. And the enemy would gladly use that to hold that against you. Or, or maybe it's the pride in the good things that you have done, pride that Paul could have taken in the things that he had done and accomplished and the status that he had. Either one will work equally well to keep us immobilized for the kingdom of God. But Paul says, no, no, no. No, no, it's not these things. We let go of these things. We repent of these things that we need to repent of because of the grace of God and we move on 
and we strain forward because God has a better future for us going forward. So Romans verse 1 to 2, again, what Paul is sharing in that chapter 12 of verse 1 and 2 is this picture of transformation, but becoming a disciple of Jesus, of whole life discipleship that begins with sacrifice. Let's keep reading in Romans 12 verses 3 to 4. Or three to five. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think that you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith that God has given us. And just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. So here Paul says, take an honest assessment of yourself. Be truthful. Have a look inside. Put up a mirror. Have others kind of help you take this assessment of yourself and understand. Know where you are and know who you are. Don't think too low of yourself, but also don't think too high of yourself. But have an honest assessment and a measurement of yourself and understand how God has created you uniquely. And he says you need to do that in the community. You need to do that in the body of Christ. You need to do that with others. It's funny how others help us with that if we allow them, right? Others help sort of help us to see ourselves in a unique way and to understand more of who we are, probably better than we can ourselves. And so we need others in our lives as well. So to be self-aware and to understand who we are in community is what Paul is saying. A significant piece of discipleship. Even within our staff, we often talk about our blind spots. What is it, what is it that we don't see that others see? And we try to be honest with those things. And even blind spots, by their definition, aren't something that you can actually articulate because if you know it's a blind spot, it's actually not a blind spot, right? And so you have to have others who can hold the, the, the mirror up to you and actually help you see some things that you need to see. Are we people who are willing to do that and take a self-assessment? Paul is asking that question. Take an honest look at yourself. It's important in your discipleship. And then he goes on in verse 6 to 8, and he talks about these spiritual gifts that the Spirit of God has given you. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift of showing kindness to others, do it gladly. In other words, the Holy Spirit of God has given you unique gifts for a purpose. To make the most of the rest of your life. To press into them. To use them. God has uniquely given you gifts and personality and opportunities to serve Him in both ordinary and extraordinary ways. Paul is saying discover them. Experiment with them. Talk to others about them. Develop them. Press into them. Bless the body of Christ with them. Most of them are not easily seen. Most of them are are sort of these quiet background gifts that the body of Christ is just using day after day. And it's a beautiful thing that God sees. What has God gifted you to do? What are the passions that He stirred within? I'm thankful that they're not all the same. They're so different. God has given you also opportunities that I don't have. He's given you opportunities that the person beside you doesn't have. How is it that we are called to exist in community and to use them within the church? And you know, it can happen in such subtle, simple ways. You have opportunities and moments every day to use those gifts. 
You don't have to wait for any official invitation or any official position. You can use those gifts today. You can use those gifts this morning before you leave this building. Sometimes it's just simply pressing in deeper into a conversation, asking better questions, listening better. Maybe having that word of encouragement that you've been sort of feeling and and thinking about that God has been planting in you that you just need to speak a word of encouragement into somebody's life. Maybe it's just asking if you can pray for somebody and and then taking that step of obedience to actually do that. Maybe it's a step of of reconciliation that you need to take, uh, of of walking that out with somebody. Maybe it's to give generously and that God is putting on your heart something of a generous nature that you need to do. Whatever it is. That we would understand our gifting and that we would understand how those work in community. And then in verse 9 to 13, which I would just sum up by this phrase, where Paul says, truly, truly love people. Really love people. He expands on that, and he says it in a few different ways. He says, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. He says, hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. I know in In children's ministry right now, they're talking about honor. What does it mean to honor another person? And Paul here, he says, you need to honor one another. Honor each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble. Keep on praying. And when God's people are in need, be ready to help them and always be eager to practice hospitality. So here's some tangible, practical ways that you can help other people in different ways and in different settings. So truly, truly love people. And then in verse 14 to 21, which I'm going to get into a little bit more a little bit later in the service, when I'm going to just interview somebody and we're going to have a testimony about this, what I would say is, he says, you know, practice also this ministry of reconciliation. It's part of how we love one another and how we make a difference in the world, this step into reconciliation and the different things that that can look like. And so if you, you look through Romans chapter 12, you see all of these discipleship steps that we've been talking about, about creating community, about experiencing and modeling the love of Jesus, about training one another in obedience, which is what Paul is trying to do to this church, and he's calling us to do that with one another, and about serving others and proclaiming the gospel, that these things are all part of our call to discipleship, and it makes a difference in our lives, and our lives become significant. Now, as I said earlier, God will use us in both the ordinary and the extraordinary to make the most of the rest of our lives. But the reality is, is that most of our lives are lived in the ordinary. And when I was thinking about this, the two f- phrases that came to my mind were hinge points and the daily grind. And so I just stuck with it. I couldn't get it out of my head. And so I was like, okay, what does this mean? Hinge points and the daily grind. And so I, I made this, this little contraption that you're wondering what this is. It's kind of ugly. It's the best I could do on short notice, two pieces of wood. So if you want to think about hinge points and you want to think about extraordinary think of it this way so here's this this little piece of two by four this is where you are here's where you are in life then if you think of this as this little arrow as the direction of your life uh, you go through events or seasons or something that happens in your life that changes you you might call it a faith marker you might call it uh, a significant event you might call it a highlight you might call it a low time like it's just something in your life that changes the course of direction it's a hinge point Suddenly, your life now is pointing in a different direction. And a hinge point might only change, like, you know, a couple of degrees. Like, it's just a few degrees that it changes the direction of your life. But even that, you think of the trajectory of your life. If you go from here 
to hear and the difference that that makes years out. Or for some people, it's like a radical swing. For some people, it might be even a 180-degree turn where they just give their lives to Jesus and they realize, I've just been living for myself and now I need to repent of my sins and I just need to go in a completely different direction. So hinge points are those places, seasons, events in our lives that change the course of the direction of our life. But the reality is, is most of us don't live there on a daily basis. We've had some of those. You've all had some of those. Every one of us has. But most of our life has kind of lived in the daily grind, isn't it? It's kind of lived in the, the shadow of those hinge points. So something happened that changed the directory of our life and we've, we've shifted in one way or another. And now we kind of live out the implications of that and we live a little bit in the shadow of that and say, okay, God, how do I walk this out now in a daily way, in daily discipleship? And how can my life be significant even in this daily grind? And I want to encourage you. So often we, when we hear testimonies and we hear stories, we, we just hear about the hinge points. We just hear about sort of the highlight reel. And we just hear about those significant events that, that go on in, in somebody's life. But your daily grind matters. Your daily grind is actually part of what makes your life significant. It's living out those discipleship steps when it's really hard to do that. When it's really not fun anymore. And when things are really tough and challenging. But God is still calling you to walk in obedience even though you don't know exactly what is coming next. So God calls us to that. Jesus, in many ways, if you look at his life, we read about the Gospels in those three years of his life and ministry in his 30s, and we go, okay, wow, what an amazing life. But what we forget about is the 30 years preceding that was all about the daily grind of just sort of development, of growing up, maturing, God choosing to be this this baby growing up into a little boy to an adolescent to a young man and all of the things that Jesus did that we'd have really very little record about. A daily grind that led to something very significant. We have daily decisions to put God at the center of our lives. Our money, our ambitions, our energy, our body, our gifts, our whatever it is, but to be a living sacrifice. Sometimes it's relationships that are hard and challenging and a struggle. And God continues to call us to walk in repentance and reconciliation and effort and work, whatever the case may be. Or maybe it's your work. And sometimes we make this, again, this divide between the secular and the sacred, and we think, okay, well, when I do things for the church or I do things somehow specifically for God, it's over in this category, as opposed to the daily grind of the work that I do all these other days of the week. And there is nothing more significant and no place more important for your discipleship than in those hours and those days that you press into your work for the sake of the kingdom. To just view it differently and say, okay, God, how do I bring even these discipleship steps into this workplace? How how do I create community? Can I actually model the love of Jesus here? We have opportunities everywhere, every day to do these things where our lives can be significant, both in the hinge points and the major changes as well as in the very simple things of our day-to-day lives. Or what about when God is silent? And he doesn't seem to be speaking. And we kind of wonder, okay, God, where are you? There's this wonderful book that many of you know, and I've quoted it a few times, uh, called Screwtape Letters. C.S. Lewis wrote this brilliant book many years ago that is 
this demon screw tape who's writing to his young nephew, nephew Wormwood. And so when you read the book, you have to think everything in reverse because it's about an older demon teaching a younger demon how to mess up the lives of Christians. And so it helps us to get into the mind of Satan in terms of how he twists and distorts things. And so one of the quotes about God's silence and obedience is this. He says, Our cause, speaking of the cause of the enemy, is never more in danger than when a human, no longer desiring, but still intending to do our enemy's will, meaning God's will, that's the enemy, looks around upon a universe from which every trace of him, God, seems to have vanished and asks why he has been forsaken and still obeys. He says there is nothing that puts the cause of the enemy or the cause of Satan in more danger than that. When a believing person actually feels like God is so silent and still walks in obedience and says, Lord, I will follow you in discipleship. What an amazing truth for each one of us. What an incredible challenge for how we might make the most of the rest of our lives, of being a true disciple of Jesus, who is also intentional to make disciples of others, recognizing fully that there are hinge points and there's the daily grind. And both of them matter. I'm going to invite the worship team up. As you uh, come up here, I just want to summarize these points from Romans chapter 12, and then I'm going to close in prayer. In Romans 12, in this text that we so quickly looked at, we see Paul's call to a living sacrifice, both body and mind. We see Paul's call to take an honest assessment of ourselves, to be self-aware and to be intentional about those things. We see this call to know who we are in community and realize that we do not walk alone, but that we walk together with others. We see this call to understand our gifts, the spiritual gifts that the Spirit of God has given us, and to press into those gifts in community. We see the call to truly, truly love people. And the call to live a radical life of reconciliation. Would you stand with me as I just conclude our time in prayer? So Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love for us. We thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for the hope that we have in you. And God, I just thank you for each one here. And I believe that every one of us has a desire, no matter how young or how old, that we want to make the most of the rest of the days, whatever days you've given us, Lord. And God, I pray that you would help each one here to see different hinge points in their lives, things that have turned their life a few degrees and set them on a different path. And God, some of those we celebrate and they're incredible things. Others of those hinge points are painful and difficult and hard. But God, they're part of who we are. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to use those to your glory and for your kingdom purposes. And Lord, I pray for each one here that you would encourage every person in the daily grind when things get hard and when you seem silent. And so Father, I pray that we would be those intentional people to be your disciples and to disciple others. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.